0: Good morning everyone, my name is Susan Freeman and this particular episode is Freeman Means Business Peer Podcast where I welcome professionals who share valuable insights and ideas that help others in professional services. Whether it be through their personal storytelling or sharing best practices in their own profession, they help to change the world for the better. Today, listeners can tune in to Apple Podcasts. We are new on Apple as of today. We've just been picked up, so that's very exciting for us. Um, you can also listen to Freeman Means Business Podcasts on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and other great channels on the web. Today, our guest is Terry Wheeler of Professional Services Marketing. Welcome, Terry. Tell Thanks. me a little bit about your background in services. Well, first of all, Susan, thank
1: you so much for inviting me to be part of this really exciting program. And as a little bit of background, I started my professional services career as a law firm marketing director, and I filled that role for about 12 years in various larger firms in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And then after my last firm decided to sort of implode, I decided, hmm, I really don't want to go into another law firm. So I decided to spread my entrepreneurial wings and I started professional services marketing uh, going on 22 years ago. And, wow. yeah, it's, it's, time has flown, let me tell you. And it's really been fun because I knew when I started my company that I didn't want it to be just about me and Wheeler and Associates. I wanted to build a, com- a concept that would allow me to grow by adding people to help me deliver services. So today my company has 35 people on its team and we deliver outsourced marketing services, we deliver marketing coaching services, and we work primarily in the legal industry. So I used that background as a law firm marketing director to say, gosh, if I can work with lawyers and keep them happy as my internal clients, I bet I can work with other clients too, because lawyers have that reputation of maybe being a little more difficult to work with, but I have loved every moment of every engagement I've had with attorneys
0: I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that last statement before but <laughs> <laughs> I know they need our help um, so it's good good to have so many of us out there um, across the nation so you are fantastic. Your energy level is high. Folks, I have had conversations with Terry before, and she's very personable, easy to uh, communicate with, a great listener, but also super duper enthusiastic and energetic. She, she reminds me a little bit about your, of yours truly, uh, if I might say so myself.
1: What um, a compliment,
0: Susan. Oh, thanks, thanks. So she also, um, we don't do audio. I mean, we only do audio on these podcasts. We don't do video, but I want to tell you. Uh, For having been in business 22 years, you would never guess it. She looks quite young. I wonder how young she was when she got started. So let me ask you, why exactly did you decide, um, besides not wanting to work in the law firm setting anymore, uh, why did you decide to open this newest, latest um, ethical marketing CLEs on demand portion of your, your portfolio of services?
1: That is an excellent question. And for our listeners, I just want to explain what I did. So as I said, I've been the president and founder of Professional Services Marketing for going on 22 years. But during that tenure, I also served on the Minnesota Lawyers Board of Professional Responsibility which is the board, of course, that governs all of the ethical behaviors of attorneys in Minnesota. In the last two years of my term, I served as vice chair. And I don't know if there's ever been another vice chair who has been a non-lawyer, but I was honored to fill that role. And what I decided after my term ended last January was that I had to figure out a way to merge my knowledge, my deep knowledge of ethical marketing practices for attorneys, and attorneys' need to get CLE credits. So, and more specifically, to get ethics credits. So, I launched CLE Connect, which is a kind of a unique player because it's an on-demand CLE offering that includes courses that all have received ethics credit, which is a little bit harder to get. Lawyers have to a certain in Minnesota lawyers have a requirement that they have to have a certain number of ethics credits every three year reporting period. So I wanted to fill that need and as a result, I developed CLE Connect and I launched with six different courses. And what I really love about CLE Connect is that it's really like my marketing coaching. It's me talking and going through a PowerPoint and giving examples. And at the end of the one hour webinar, Attorneys can—it's just very smooth and seamless. They get their certificate of completion with a link to where they need to report it. So I have big plans for CLE Connect. I bet I have about—I I think now I remind myself of you because I have about thirty programs that I have on the docket to um, to to produce in the next few months.
0: Well, if you are anything like I am, and I believe that you are, you are a busy lady. So um, I think that sounds great. It sounds like something that lawyers would um, welcome because it doesn't seem like it takes too much time. They don't have to get on a plane and fly somewhere. They don't have to drive. So it takes very little of their billable hour away. So it sounds terrific.
1: Well, thank you. One one final thought on that is that it's I I decided I had a previous entrepreneurial endeavor that I really went big in a hurry and tried to launch on a national basis to every lawyer in the country. And it just, it, it didn't work out. So I tried to learn from my mistake that I made. And that's the reason that I'm launching CLA Connect only in Minnesota. We've got 30,000 lawyers here. So I figured if I can prove my concept here, it will then offer me the leverage of being able to expand
0: into other states. What a robust case study it will make. So that's wonderful, probably a wise decision. Um, I, I like to say and I think listeners who listen to me regularly have heard me say this before we win or learn never lose so great that you took that lesson and turned it into something meaningful that you enjoy that helps others and that's what this podcast is all about so tell me for CLE connect how can lawyers benefit directly from those services that you provide.
1: Well, and again, CLE Connect is is an ancillary offering that is not necessarily part of my primary company, professional services marketing, but what lawyers can expect is that they will purchase at a very um, affordable price, they will purchase access to marketing coaching, personal marketing coaching, one hour at a time. There are there are programs that we have developed on how to use your website to develop business, how to develop your ethical marketing plan, how to ethically use social media. So they're, what's awesome is that they're all marketing-oriented topics, which again, marketing used to never uh, be awarded CLE credits through the Minnesota CLE Board. Right. It was thought, well, we're not going to help lawyers figure out how to make money and but but times have changed, thankfully. So what they can expect to learn really are the marketing basics. There aren't a lot of marketing consultants like me throughout the state of Minnesota. In fact, you probably know this statistic as well, Susan that of all the lawyers in the country are in firms that are 10 attorneys or smaller. So I'm really trying to put together this high quality content that isn't just going to give someone an ethics credit or six ethics credits if they took all the classes we have right now, but rather is going to truly help them learn the basics they need to build their practice.
0: Right, right. It's not a one-stop and then forget about it and move on. It's it's a take this with you for the remainder of your career, share it with others. Um, I get that. I get that. Good. So that's terrific. That's really great. I know that when I worked with one of the really large um, tech companies out there in their legal division, that I would do business development training from California to Texas, from mid to large law in that space, Mm -hmm. and it was very challenging because some of what I did, all of what I did was client-driven, it was client-centric, it was everything lawyers and law firms needed to be doing, Um, but because, um, in in this example, it was Texas, would not give CLE credit, it made it much more difficult to take time out of the lawyer's day for this, even though they saw value in it, it was it was tough for them to step away from their billable hours. So, so what you're doing sounds very workable, doable. Um, the number one reason people do business with a person or company is ease in doing business. Yes. So it looks like you made it easy. Well, well, Terry, tell me a little bit about this. Um, three things that clients might misunderstand about what you do or what your company does and take this opportunity to set the record straight.
1: I love that. And I have thought about this and I knew we were going to talk about it. So um, as as I mentioned before, most of my clients, because of my background and my interest and my love of working with lawyers, are law firms and lawyers across the country. So what are some of the things that lawyers often misunderstand about what I do? Um, first of all, if, if it's a larger law firm, there is a belief that, gosh, I have a marketing department. I don't need to do marketing. My marketing department will do it for me. And true. Isn't that Thank true? Me, yes. yes. That the I way, that. <laughs> yes, and the way that lawyers successfully build their business is, uh, marketing is important because marketing sets the tone and provides the messaging and pro- offers name recognition through social media, through webinars, through the website, through PR. There are many great values to an internal marketing department, but where the rubber meets the road, is with the attorneys and their ability to build strong, enduring relationships. And so the thought that, gosh, I have a marketing department, I guess I don't need to market, has to do more with I don't want to do sales. I didn't go to law school to be a salesperson.
0: In fact, just a a
1: brief brief, times.
0: Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes.
1: I teach at three Midwestern law schools, most of them here in the state of Minnesota. And one of the questions I always ask the the third year lawyers is how many of you after you graduate from law school want to become salespeople? And then I raise my hand and I watch for, and they're just the looks of horror in their eyes. They do not believe that they're going to graduate from law school and have to quote unquote do sales. So then, I get to tell them that they really are going to have to become salespeople that even if they join a large firm that their marketing department is only going to do so much for them. So I think that's one.
0: hmm. Terry, I'm so glad that you, I just want to pause for a minute. I'm so glad that you had the courage to say that. Um, It's true. So if anyone tells a lawyer in a firm today that in order to bring in new business, you won't have to sell, That's not true. So it means you won't have to do, you know, the old school pushy transactions, uh, you know, uh, tangible product sale. You will have to do relationship selling where you assess needs, listen to the client, develop a solution to their challenge. So I'm so impressed that you have the courage to tell them right up front. Yes, you will have to engage in what I call relationship selling or consultative selling. So bravo to you.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, there, there's, there's another for, for senior attorneys who feel like, okay, I'm really tired of the rat race of the big law firm and the politics. I'm going to start my own practice because then I'll have balance in my life. And I also think that is potentially a misconception, unless they have read and mastered the principles in the E-Myth attorney, which is all about what you need to do to develop your practices and processes to build a sustainable practice. What ends up happening is lawyers will band together, maybe two or three will leave a big firm, and then they'll realize, oh my goodness, you know, we have to not only deliver services and find clients, we have to handle all the admissions administrative tasks and 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 we need to hire assistants and paralegals and a bookkeeper and so I think it's a huge misconception that some lawyers have in large firms that they can leave their firm and Achieve this wonderful balance in life or life
0: work-life balance by starting their own firm. What have you found I would agree. I think that, um, so I have to tell you, I've heard of the e-myth attorney. And when you said that, I was like, you know, I need to get that book. I'm a huge, uh, Michael Gerber fan. So I've never read. Yeah. I've never read that book. And when you said that, I was like, wow, you know, she's hitting the point a nail on the head right here. Uh, so the fact that they're, you know, entrepreneurs, every lawyer is in fact running their own business, even if they're in a firm that, you know, covers all the over, overhead and, and does most of the firm as a business, which it should be, it should be a, a business of law. If, if there's someone, even firms with COOs, for example, the attorney still has to manage his or her practice as if it is his or her own business. So I'm really interested. So I, I think I was a little you know, oh, look at the shiny when you said that. <laughs> mm-hmm. and So I would love to learn more about his book. I, I know I heard the e attorney, but I never um, purchased or read the book. So I will be doing that. A little shout out to him and his, his book. It's not new. I know that for sure. Uh, I don't know how I missed that one, but I would agree. I would agree that lawyers, um, I, I need to make it clear to my listeners and probably every time I podcast, I make this clear to the listeners. That mine is not to bash the lawyers. Mine is to understand that as INTJs, which most of them are, it's a struggle for them to show any vulnerability or to ask questions of the client or to um, engage in what I call a needs assessment and find out what the client's trying to achieve because they feel like they need to know the law and be best at that. And that should be enough. And that's not enough. That's not enough.
1: Well, and in fact, sometimes it backfires and and lawyers start speaking in legal um, terminology that clients just gloss over and Hoping right. that the client is going to say, wow, they are so smart. I didn't understand a word they said, which in fact, today is not going to get them very far. They we have are
0: to, to be clearly and totally clearly. Totally on the same page there, yeah. for sure. So um, when I stand before a crowd of lawyers or a room full of lawyers and I ask, what is it the client, what's the number one way that to, to bring in new business from existing clients or even from prospects, to be honest, I inevitably get a hand, a room full of hands in the air and the answers always, um, be the best lawyer, be the smartest, you know, have come from the best universities or have the highest pedigree. And that's not true. That's table exactly. stakes. You know, you wouldn't be there if you weren't already considered a smart lawyer with excellent work product. So it's really to understand the client's business and industry, to speak their language and get them to open up about what they're trying to achieve and show them that you can help them grow or protect their company. Um, Absolutely.
1: When I do CLEs and presentations, I always talk about this concept of it's not about if you build it, they will come to, to quote um, Kevin Costner in Fields of Dreams, a, a movie <laughs> from many years ago, but a lot of lawyers think that, wow, if I build it, if I go to law school and become the best lawyer I possibly can, word of my greatness and expertise right. will precede me. And as we know, <laughs> it takes a lot
0: more than that. It takes a lot more than that to be a successful attorney. So I think that, um, law schools have work to do too, because I think they perpetuate that myth. And I think it used to be the case that your reputation would precede you and the phone would ring off the hook. But now there are so many lawyers doing such great work. And there's so much information available to the buyers of legal services that they can easily just move on down the line if they don't like the way you operate, or if they don't think that you'll be uh, so, so I always say people want to do business with those they know, like, and trust. Yes. So if is. they don't feel they know you, like you, or trust you, they'll just call someone else or or email someone else. So no, true. That that is that is absolutely
1: true. And legal services are more of a commodity now than they've ever been in the past. As you know, these dedicated, loyal clients would choose to work with a firm, and they didn't care which lawyer they worked with. It was their firm, and. And those days are gone. Clients will work with as many lawyers as they choose who have the expertise and the experience that they have, even if it's in a very limited area of law, which I think is why a lot of boutique practices are very successful today. It's the it's the big full service firm approach that's becoming, I think,
0: harder and harder to sell to clients. Sure. Let me ask you this. Um, so... From the client perspective, I believe they are looking for a lawyer who understands their business and industry, and therefore they're looking for a lawyer who um, at least claims to have expertise and experience in that niche, in that industry. But there are firms out there where the lawyers choose to be generalists, and because they like that, and they like to feel like they're experts in so many areas, I think that serves to make themselves feel good about themselves, but it doesn't serve the client best because from the client perspective, if I'm looking for, you know, a healthcare litigator and I see on this person's bio or on the website that he or she does that plus claims to be the best at six other practice areas, how do Mm -hmm. I, yeah, you know, how do I relate to that? How can I be sure this is You know the person for me so how do you feel about the generalist first versus the um, niche or the expert in a certain industry even
1: yes and it's it's a message that lawyers aren't really sometimes willing to hear because when you start when I start talking about the importance of having a niche All they can see are what they feel are all these other doors shutting around them that if they establish a niche, they're going to lose business in other areas. But I have just one brief example of a plaintiff's employment litigator who I was trying to help him really develop a niche. We weren't sure what that niche was going to be, so we walked down the path of what type of clients have you worked with predominantly where you would say, experience with this type of client and we landed on physicians. So my employment plaintiff's employment lawyer um, now has a page on the website that talks about our services for physicians. Here are articles that I've written just for physicians. Here are blog posts I've written that address all the employment issues that physicians face, like peer review and and other areas. And as a result of making him the expert and creating this niche, which he had all along, he just wasn't marketing it. And I can honestly tell you, we have representative experience. Here was the situation, this was our approach, here's the result. So we have a whole entire page just for physicians and as a result, he has generated millions and millions of dollars in business because a client will, will do a search on Google. And because we've done great SEO for him, he's the first lawyer that comes up under employment lawyer for physicians or physician attorney. And as a result of that, he has new clients just beating down the door to work with him because we took the concept of having a niche and we made it real by creating a page i'm a huge believer in market your services not by the service area but by the type of client that right. you with, right i mean that makes so oh, much sense
0: that. so but, industry focused or even client focused yes right? absolutely yes, I think that's fantastic So that takes a lot of courage on the part of the lawyer uh, because firms are still so practitioner focused, you know, lawyers are practitioners. Um, They make the clients work hard to find out who they are and what they can do to help the client when they should make it easier by saying, um, I am a business person who knows the law. I understand your world, I can help you solve problems, prevent problems, etc. So yeah, that's fantastic. So I I have found what you have found and that lawyers are afraid to, um, I love your analogy of of letting go because they see all these other doors shutting when really, it's like the blue ocean strategy, that book from years ago. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. You know, Don't swim in the same red ocean that's, you know, occupied by all the people doing the exact same thing you're doing. Find a niche, carve something new and be the expert in that arena or that field or that ocean to use that example.
1: Exactly. And he still gets a lot of business. He still has all kinds of other clients that are not physicians. But part of the other goal of having a niche is that you want to attract clients that are the most enjoyable for you to work with, but also that are the most profitable. So that you're getting beyond this concept of door clients, which means I will work with anyone who walks through the door. We, that is the antithesis. That's the opposite of what niche marketing does. So like you, Susan, I'm a, just a huge proponent in the effectiveness and efficiency of having a niche. So a compliment to you, Terry Wheeler, is you uh-huh. sound like Seth Godin. Oh my gosh. No way. I'm, 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 this is it. This is my last day of work. I'm going on the speaking circuit. I'll, I'll write a book. That's so sweet.
0: Yeah, he's great. I've been following him for a thousand years long before, you know, people understood that there are differences between business development, marketing, mm-hmm. and then where there's overlap. So um, awesome. You are fantastic. Let me ask you something. So what can uh, lawyers expect if they call you on the phone or email you? What do, they, well, what do they get from Terry when they first reach out? Like, take me through, say I'm a client, I call Terry or I email her. What do you do? What's your first thing you say or do?
1: The very first thing I do, and I encourage lawyers to do this in their marketing efforts as well, is I ask questions and I listen and I ask additional questions, you know, it's it's not about the sales pitch it's about really showing someone that you care about their practice and that you care about there's a reason that clients call you there's a reason that clients call me and it's generally gosh I'm really stagnant in my growth I'm not happy with how my firm is growing so I really take the first few minutes with any caller like that to really understand what their situation is and I the things that I really want to communicate about about the approach I use is that we are strategic. I can't have done this for you know, 25 years and not be highly strategic. So I make sure that, that the attorney realizes that this isn't just one blog post and here's your solution or a new website and then you're going to have all kinds of clients. It's a multitude of strategies that have to be implemented over time, but that everything starts with assessing what's worked and what hasn't, moving into what are my aspirational goals and Objectives for the upcoming year, because when you have that, you have the roadmap. And then what works out really well is that I then become their, their cheerleader and their coach and their accountability partner. So whether it is an individual attorney that I'm coaching Or if it's the managing partner of a 15 or 20 attorney firm we start with the strategy then we implement and that's where my team comes into place so I always tell my clients that our work is very scalable if you're a solo practitioner you're not going to be able to afford the monthly fee of a firm that has 25 attorneys where seven team members of mine are working on their behalf so It's all very scalable, but most importantly, it's about finding clients who value being strategic versus, gosh, all these other lawyers are doing this, maybe I should try it too. The goal is to, as you have alluded to and mentioned earlier in this podcast, lawyers have to determine what makes them unique. They can't, they can't float in the same pool as all of their competitors. They have to really identify their unique differentiators and market using those strengths that they have, in my humble opinion.
0: Well, that's what we're here to discuss <laughs> you know humble as terry is folks she really needs not be she's she really knows her stuff it's so the first time i ever talked to her on the phone usually my introductory phone call or when i um you know i'm first getting to know someone it's a few minutes but i think terry and i talked for over an hour um it was great great it was really great um very validating and i learned something new from her every time we talk And I'm learning something new on this podcast, hoping that you, the listener, are also learning something new. Um, Tell me some actionable advice to lawyers um, that you might give on this podcast in case a few of them tune in. And they do. They don't admit it, but they do tune in. Well, I,
1: that's a, that is a really great question because lawyers don't want a bunch of theoretical, great marketing ideas from some bubbly marketing person who can come up with great ideas. That's not enough. So, I've really synthesized some of the action items that I think lawyers need to take. Number one, they truly need to weave marketing and new business development, what I say is, through the fabric of their practice, that this can't be something that in two weeks, on Friday from two to three, I'm going to do marketing. It just doesn't work that way. So you have to weave marketing through everything you're doing, you have to, think about maybe while that document is printing, I should send an email to this prospective client or this referral source and and keep that thread going no matter how busy you are. Because I always tell lawyers, if you wait until you truly have time to market, it could be too late. And I don't say that as a scare tactic, well, maybe a little bit, but I say it because it it takes consistency and dedication to build your network, to build your pipeline. Line. and you can't just disappear while you're in trial for a month and a half or a year and then expect to go back and rebuild those relationships. Right. or so weaving marketing through your fabric is of, of your practice is one thing I so think it's like also, brushing your teeth you have to has. do something every day exactly exactly and Secondly, I think it's really important, a la the eMyth attorney, to have systems and processes in place to make your marketing efforts more manageable and measurable. So don't just fly from or, or operate off the cuff. You really need to think about how can I create some replicable processes so I don't have to work so hard every time I want to do something related to marketing.
0: So I think that that helps, number one, um, when you have, you know, those processes in place, it makes the weaving marketing into your everyday easier and doable. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And then I would acknowledge too, that lawyers, like I'm sure you and I are, Susan, tend to be perfectionists. They're high achieving, highly educated people who put a lot of pressure on themselves. And what ends up happening is uh, what, what we all do from time to time, and that's procrastination. Lawyers who are high achieving and feel like, you know, gosh, I need to do this perfectly. Instead of waiting until you have a four hour block of time to do something perfectly, Plan to do a little bit every day, and I know that sounds super basic, but I think procrastination is one of the biggest reasons that lawyers don't do what they know they want to do and should do in marketing. They keep putting it off and putting it off until they have enough time. And again, sometimes when they wait until they have time, they don't have a backlog, they don't have prospective clients that they're talking to, and then they panic. So, I don't want any of your listeners to panic. That's why I always encourage my clients to put marketing on their calendar, even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes in the morning when they get in. Do something every day that is outside of your billable hours because I heard that from a client just this morning and it was on a big marketing opportunity that we have. And his concern was, well, I'm going to have to take a couple of hours, you know, my billable time away to do this. And I said, but you're preparing yourself for having much more business, hundreds of thousands of dollars of business by taking non-billable
0: time and making it a priority and not procrastinating. So so let's say, you know, your billable rate is, a thousand dollars an hour or 900, whatever it might be And in, in your neck of the woods, it's probably a little less. So I don't know, six, $800 an hour, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You invest that $800 in one hour of business development or marketing that will pay off tenfold exponentially. So what I hear a lot is, you know, and I call them the top three mistakes are, Uh, what you just said, but I I focus on business development more than marketing. And I know that they are hand in hand. They go together. We have Mm -hmm. to raise your reputation in order to have you easily build relationships. So I hear a lot. I will focus on business development when I have time, which is Mm -hmm. like, and I am like there, that's a slippery slope. You know, the more successful you are, the busier you are and the less time you'll have. So like you, I tell them carve out specific time each day um, you know, don't don't engage in standalone activities, just like going to lunch once a month with someone new. Um, allocate this time and strategize, prepare and plan and execute the business development follow up. Um, I, I also I see number mistake. Number two, I talk about um, lawyers I've heard from say, oh, I wrote something for the firm's newsletter or website. Uh, you know, being out there is no longer enough or gave a speech at, at this certain you know, what have you, you're not gaining any feedback from prospects or clients by doing that. So that's okay. And it makes you feel good. Great. It may result in a couple of inquiries. Great. But it's not directly impacting the clients you already have, like a meeting with the client or like client feedback would directly impact the relationship. Um, Well, exactly. And
1: to to that point, Susan, I think it's really important whether your listener is a solo practitioner with a small firm, with a large firm, to realize that let's just use the example of writing a blog post. Hopefully that blog post is going to be timely and relevant and it's going to matter to an audience that you're trying to do more business with and that it isn't enough just to put the blog on the firm's website. You have to promote it. You Using social media you should send a communication right. to your contacts that says hey I recently wrote this blog I think you might be interested so it isn't just about doing the presentation by the way if you do a presentation the first thing you should do is go back to the office and create a blog version of that and repurpose your content it's very efficient to do that but know that if you're just writing to throw something up on the website or on a blog and nothing is done to drive people to that content, you're right. It's just, it's sort of a futile effort. So I encourage, and this goes back to the strategy. You have to think about everything you do with a broader based strategy. I'm going to write a blog. Well, who am I writing it for? Who's my audience? What's the topic? Right. How am I going to disseminate it into the marketplace? I've had some of my clients have actually been called by the local news media to appear on camera for the evening news because of a blog
0: they published. So there That's are so great. Yeah. That's great. So, for um, what you were just saying, a lot of attorneys are reluctant to even take time to write the blog, but those that do might post it on a website and think that they're done. Mm -hmm. To me, that can be akin to standing atop a mountain and shouting your message. Exactly. I'm not sure how impactful that is, but um, your strategy and your plan that's Mm -hmm. in place really helps it to become. So so law is a people business. It has to be about people, even though we have uh, digital communications and social media and, you know, so many ways to disseminate a message you still need to get feedback from the receiver to make sure they understood your intent and that's where business comes in and relationships evolve and grow uh, from your marketing efforts. So that's when you're incorporating the business development aspect into your marketing efforts. So terrific, terrific. So let me ask you this um, I am known to say that lawyers have a reputation for being difficult to work with. And that's not just because I worked with them. It's come, it comes from clients. Clients say, you know, I want to work with someone I can roll up my sleeves with and stay up till midnight in case we have a case. And I want to be able to understand, know, like, and trust this person. Like I say, mm-hmm. tell me, uh, what would you, you know, what, why would someone want to work with a lawyer that you've trained or worked with or helped or,
1: That's a really good question, and I think it actually speaks to your previous podcast on authenticity. Lawyers need to be authentic. They need to show their clients that they really do care about them, and it's that combination of asking really good questions, listening to the answer. Usually when clients come to you, they don't have a well-honed legal need sitting on a silver platter. In fact, many times clients will come to lawyers and say, this is what I need, and ask after the lawyer answers or asks a few questions the lawyer will realize that what the client is coming to them with is simply a symptom of a much larger cause so I think lawyers need to if they went to a law school that said, you know, you are on a pedestal and a pillar, no, it's about being authentic, being able to relate to people. It's about building genuine relationships with people that you like, you trust, you respect. That's the core of your future success. And it's about caring about the individuals. If you're at a cocktail party and you start talking to someone, you're really trying to find out more about that individual. It isn't about, you know, when is the spotlight right. going to be on me and when am I going to be able to talk about you know how great I am and you know finally I really think it's about lawyers understanding the true difference between marketing and sales and if I may what we always tell our clients is that marketing is about messages and thankfully, sales is about asking questions. And if you try to do sales without marketing, it's really difficult because nobody knows who you are. Versus if you try to do marketing without having any real sales approach because the lawyers don't want to be salespeople, it's so expensive. You have to throw money, right. and messages and your branding out there. So and that's how they work together.
0: I, I am jaw dropped. I mean, it's like you have, come into my brain and, and taken a little bit of that gray matter away and put it into your head. And <laughs> you know I feel like I met me. Oh, um, that's awesome. This is so great. I mean, you, you have, look at me. I've never been without words before. <laughs> oh my goodness. Tongue twisted and tripping over my words, but you have just eloquently and beautifully stated the case for the marriage between, marketing and business development in language that lawyers would accept and can understand and might put their toe in the water to embrace. I am so impressed. Um, How great, how terrific. I would love to have an offline phone conversation with you another day or after the podcast or what have you Consider
1: do. consider it done Susan. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start by
0: asking you a lot of questions. I love it. I love it. I'm going to send you a blog, a blog. I call them blogcasts. but oh, I write blogs about people, places, things. And then I sync a podcast, in the blog. So there are those who will read only, those who will listen only and those who might do both and then, you know, the the those who do neither. <laughs> oh, I love it. But um my blogcast I had um recently a, a couple of new blogcasts and then before I started the podcasts, I had written a, a pure blog about the Socratic method and how it's the lawyer's friend and so, so training oh, people oh. on gender-based communication style differences, which is the differentiator I bring to the table, um, I notice that it's not just gender, but it's also personality makeup. So the INTJs are particularly brilliant people who they are afraid of asking questions, appearing vulnerable. Um, They feel like being vulnerable makes them look unintelligent or ignorant, and that's not true at all, Mm -hmm. as you know. Uh Um, They also are afraid to talk on the phone. So they want to be able to see the nonverbal communication cues and whatnot of the audience or the person who's receiving their message. So it's very difficult to get them... comfortable with the type of business development um that you're referencing uh so i'd love to i'd love to chat with you more about that this is very exciting i would love to let me ask you you sound like you do this 24 7 but i'm sure (laughs) there has to be something else you do outside of coaching and consulting with lawyers Yes.
1: And so, so my husband and I uh, were empty nesters and yes, I am an admitted workaholic and it's not because I have to, it's because I love what I do, but I've been doing a much better job of, of taking nights off and trying not to work weekends because we live in, I guess you could call it East Central or Northern Minnesota. We have 40 acres of beautiful land. Wow. I hear wind chimes outside my office right now. I love winter, so I obviously live in the right state, Minnesota yes. or as we call it Minnesota. So <laughs> I love winter things like just doing snowshoeing and downhill skiing and winter, believe it or not, is my favorite time of year and as empty nesters, the other thing that's so much fun is just hanging out with my husband. It's really nice after 30 years of marriage to realize, wow, this is an awesome human being and I love spending time with him. So, you know, we do, so of, we do a lot of great date nights. and um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I love it. That's so great. And we have three kids and I have actually, and children who I love and adore. So it's so much fun to have built a business that I have controlled from the moment I started it, because what it does is it allows me to have that work-life balance. And if I'm working until midnight one night, it's because I want to do it. Or right. let's be honest, maybe I've procrastinated something, but it's generally because I want to do this to to clear my plate for a nice, lovely weekend. So
0: what a happy podcast! This has oh. been you are delightful. So, again, folks, you who don't know Terry and may have never seen her, um, you would not believe she has grandchildren. I'm just gonna throw <laughs> that out there, that's crazy. Um, no, that's so exciting. So, I am about to lose my 17 year old son, he's my only one. He's about going to off to college. I know, I've been suffering a lot of heartache over that. And I, I put everything out on Facebook. Um, most of the listeners follow me on Facebook too. So they know that I'm, you know, an overshare. Um, I've been sharing his story since he was probably, I don't know, since Facebook started, but since he was probably 15 months old. Um, and people know, I mean, he is a huge part of who I am and vice versa and it's time for mom to let go and I'm struggling. I'm really,
1: really Oh, Susan. <laughs> I went through that with our youngest. We have 10 years between our older two kids and Michelle. Wow. And when Michelle went off to college, I mean, I really was kind of a wreck because we were so close and we did everything yeah. together. And here's just one little insight into Michelle Rose Wheeler. When Jim and I dropped her off at St. Olaf College, which is where she graduated from, nice. she, had, she had burned a CD called... At the time. So it was a while ago, songs to make you cry. Aww. So you're my husband. And I, no, it was, it was cruel. No, I'm teasing. It wasn't cruel, but it was, it was a compilation of all these songs about moving forward and leaving home and starting your own life. And I really, I couldn't listen to the CD yeah. for the first six months of her being away because I literally would start to cry. And you don't want to walk into a client meeting with mascara yeah on your face, so, <laughs> but it is a hard time, but you know what? I, Michelle is now graduated and she does work for me in my business and all oh, I can say so great. Well, it, that's it's, awesome. It's so nice when your, your child is kind of fledged and they're off on their own and they're, and you know, you've been a good parent because what happens is they come to you for advice and counsel. You're not the parent anymore. You're you're their advisor and by um, their choice, but I feel your pain. And all I can say is it it will get better. I hope he's not going like across the country. Is he going somewhere fairly close to you?
0: he was looking across the country but then he came to us one night and said you know I really don't want to live that far from you guys we're very close-knit oh um, yeah so yeah
1: well thank goodness
0: that made me feel a little better so he is looking in California Um, there is one school he's looking at UT Austin is that's that's sort of far away but I, Mm -hmm. I you know We'll see we'll see how this plays Aww. out. It looks like Cal Poly might be the best fit for him. As much as Mom was hoping he'd want to go, he'd want to go to Stanford, and he could. He's got a five point oh, got all the, everything it takes, and he's an old soul, and he's just you know, I, you can tell I'm a big fan.
1: (laughs) Yes. Aren't we? I am also a big fan of all my kids, but
0: that song's to
1: make you cry. That just about did us in.
0: I bet. So one last thing before we say goodbye, Um, I will probably meet you um, in person because I have a stepdaughter who lives in Minnesota.
1: Oh my goodness. Yes. Let's get together the next time you're here.
0: Totally. Totally. So I just wanted to say thank you. You're delightful. You're super brilliant. You're easy on the ears. Um, You have, you know, great content, of course. I mean, I mean, we could share our our programs, but your delivery, your style is just so engaging and fun, and I like it. Well, thank
1: you, Susan. It was my pleasure to be on your podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, everyone have a great day. Look forward to this podcast coming out soon. I will sync it into my blog on my website, freemanmeansbusiness.com and share it with the world. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye, Terry. Thanks again, Susan. Bye-bye, everyone.